Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, and good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, Ralph. Thanks for the setup, man. I really appreciate that. <laughs> the, the year I came into the Academy in 1988, and a number of my classmates are here with me, I was National Security Advisor to President Reagan. And on that occasion, the ones who spoke immediately before me and gave me a similar setup were Ben Bradley of the Washington Post and E.L. Doctoral. So I'm kind of used to this kind of an introduction. <laughs> And what I'd like to do uh, in the limited time I have available is just make a couple of points and then open it up to questions. So it won't be a finished presentation, a polished presentation, just a few points. One, you've heard a lot of people talk about uh, public service today and none more eloquently than my good friend, fellow cabinet officer in the first term, uh, Norman Etter. I hope that wherever your future takes you, and you don't know where that is now, I assure you, people are forever asking me if I knew I would be Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, National Security Advisor, and Secretary of State when I was a young lad growing up a few miles from here in the South Bronx section of New York. And I smile and said, yeah, there I was. <laughs> Corner 163rd Street and Kelly, talking to some of the boys. I believe I'm gonna grow up and be a four-star general and then become Secretary of State. <laughs> Life doesn't work that way, and it won't work that way for you either. And I can also assure you that the problems you will face when you have positions of responsibility in government or in the private sector are not the problems we're dealing with now. 32 years ago, when I was a White House fellow, and some of you are here today White House fellows, the issue that was burning in everyone's mind at that time was floods in Bangladesh. It is now 32 years later, and there are still floods from time to time in Bangladesh. Issues come and go. What you have to prepare yourselves for, my young friends, is how to deal with those issues. Watch people in public life. Watch how they get things done and watch how they fail. Understand that no good thing will happen just because it's a good thing. Good things happen only because there are advocates, champions for good things, who are willing to challenge the conventional wisdom willing to take on those who would oppose good things. The corollary of this, Powell's corollary, is bad things don't die just because they're bad things. Sometimes bad things will keep going until a good person comes along and puts it out of its misery and has the courage to say, this is wrong, this is bad, and we've got to get rid of it. So prepare yourself for this. Prepare yourself for positions of leadership. Prepare yourself not only to see the black and the white, but to also see the gray in different situations. Learn to listen to others discriminatingly. Learn to hear and to analyze. Don't always accept what they say. Listen carefully and analyze and be prepared to engage in public dialogue. Above all, as you move on to become uh, senior political leaders, and I hope there are many senior political leaders uh, of the future in this room here today, or corporate chieftains, never fail to find a way to give back to the society. It's not in political life, then it's in the nonprofit world. But there are so many people in this society, in this country of ours, this richest country of all, and in so many of the other nations represented here who are not the privileged, such as you are. They're not in the great universities that you represent. They're not in all the great fellowships that are represented here today. They are in need, and they are anxious to see that those who have gone before them, who have been successful, reach down, back, and across. So make sure that an essential value of your life as you move forward is to reach down, back, and across and help others. This is an essential part of life. I have been a public servant for 40 years. 
35 years in the Army, four years as Secretary of State, and another few years as the Chairman of America's Promise that my wife now chairs, where we tried to reach down back and across to help young people. Make that an essential part of your life as well. We live in a remarkable country, those of us who are Americans here, and I'm sure in the course of you two days you have been talking about what's happening in America and America's role in the world. As has been noted by a number of speakers, we are the most powerful, the most militarily powerful, political, economically powerful. There is still the power of our value system. People look at America and they respect us, but they also resent us. There is anti-American views out there and anti-American attitudes. But in my experience traveling around the world, we are still seen as the leader of the world that wants to be free. When there's a problem out there, it's America who is expected to solve it, whether it is just turn the key and fix the Middle East problem between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Just turn a key and make Saddam Hussein go away without anybody getting hurt, anybody getting killed. Just fix every problem that's out there. People come to America for that kind of leadership, and we must continue to give that kind of leadership. We're also this remarkable nation that is touched by every nation and which in turn touches every nation of the world. There is no nation like America with the diversity that we have and how we have shown to cabinet officers, immigrant kids here among many others, how we can take our diversity and make it a source of strength even though oppression was a part of Norm's early life and my early life and many others in this room. How we can take this diversity and make it a source of strength, not a source of weakness for our society, for our country. I was up at my alma mater last week, City College of New York, a wonderful institution, one of the great institutions of our time. And there's a Colin Powell Center up there, and I was meeting with some of the fellows of the Colin Powell Center. And they were from everywhere. They're from China. They were from Rwanda, Nigeria, all over the world, as well as those who were born here. And to see these youngsters with their eyes flashing, wanting, to get this quality education, wanting to take their place in the world, reminded me once again of the power of our system. And as I said to them, you are the same kind of young kid that I was 51 years ago when I entered that institution. And so we still have a great deal to teach the world about what America is and what America can stand for. There's one concern I've had that I've been working on for the last two years of my term as secretary and I'm now working on. And that is to make sure that in the process of protecting ourselves from another 9-11, we don't shut ourselves down. We need easier visa processing. We need to let people come in. Norm and I have talked about this often, very often. We have to make sure that America remains this welcoming, opening place that wants the rest of the world to come here. And we want to send our young people out to the rest of the world. Now, politics uh, is the way democracies work. You have to have a passion for politics. I didn't seek the presidency or any other political office because I think politics is dirty. It just wasn't who I was. It wasn't what we were as a family. But politics is what we make of it. And politics needs people like George Bush and Bill Clinton. It needs people like John Kerry. And it even needs, God help us, a Ralph Nader. <laughs> we need... Our founding fathers did not intend for this to be some nice, neat, little, tidy system where it all comes out in nice little blocks and nobody is playing politics and nobody is trying to influence somebody or other. They knew what they were creating. They were creating this system that would have an administration, an executive branch, it would have a legislative branch, it would have a Supreme Court that would keep them all relatively honest, and then it would have a free press and a First Amendment to the Constitution to keep everybody miserable all the time. 
And to this day, I am absolutely convinced the Founding Fathers are looking down, watching all of this noise, this confusion, this clash of ideas, and saying to themselves, this is what we intended. Democracy is a clash of ideas, strong, opposing views that come together and clash and compete. And as a result of that clash, compromises are made, and ultimately consensus is reached. As I've told so many audiences, don't expect democracy to be some great big ocean liner going from point A to point B and arriving safely. That's not the way it works. Ocean liners sink. Democracy is more like a life raft. It goes with the tides. It goes with the wind. Your feet are always wet. You're always cold, but you never sink. And ultimately, those tides and the waves will, the winds will take you to your destination. And that very untidy, wet process has a name, and it's called democracy. Democracy also sometimes is not just a beautiful theory to talk about. Sometimes it's a tough theory to implement. Sometimes it is necessary to use not just the soft tools of diplomacy, but the hard tools of power. A couple of years ago at a Davos conference, one of the former archbishops of Canterbury asked me a question with respect to America's use of military power. And weren't we quick, too quick to do it? I have always been an advocate of not using military power when it's possible to achieve the purpose intended through diplomatic and political means. Only a soldier understands the consequences of going to war. But if we hadn't been prepared to go to war many times over the last 100 years, Europe would not be on a path to totally being free and at peace for the first time in a couple of hundred years. I have seen military power used, and I have been responsible for the use of military power that has liberated nations in our own hemisphere in other parts of the world. The Afghan people, three million of them, came home from refugee camps in Pakistan and Iran because U.S. armed forces with coalition forces were prepared to go into Afghanistan and take the Taliban out. The Iraqi people want democracy. They want freedom. They didn't want Saddam Hussein any longer. They no longer want to threaten their neighbors. They no longer want to even think about weapons of mass destruction. I hoped and advocated and prayed that a diplomatic solution could be found. But the political leaders who came together, the coalition who came together, made a judgment that that was not going to be the solution to the problem. And so military force was used. And now I hope that the insurgency can be put down quickly so that the Iraqi people can get what they wanted. That's freedom from Iraq, a uh, kind of leadership that they've had for the last 40 years under Saddam Hussein. And that still can be achieved. So as you go forward into your new positions in life, either in private life or in public life, understand that very tough issues will be coming your way, and they're not the issues of 2005. They're the issues of 2010. Prepare yourself for those days. Prepare yourself by becoming discerning listeners. Prepare yourself by studying widely the issues of the world. Prepare yourself by believing in something, believing in a value system that rests on democracy and the rights of men and women throughout the world. Prepare yourselves for the leadership positions that are waiting for you out there. But above all, understand that it is a combination of soft power and hard power. Uh, that will move us forward and get us to the world that we all hope for, a world of peace, the kind of world that Bishop Tutu has spent his life striving for. But sometimes it requires us to send men and women in harm's way and to lose lives. 
And if we're not prepared to do that, then we are not really believers in democracy. We are not prepared to share the system that we have been able to thrive under for all these years with others in the world. And so I'm pleased to be with you all today, and I congratulate all the young people, and I look forward to a very exciting evening. And I think we have time for just a couple of questions. Thank you.